You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 120 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm, I'm okay. I've, do you know what I did this morning, Valerie? I have Tell to share me. this with you. I'm so excited by myself. Go on. I drove a trailer, oh. a car with a trailer attached to it mm. and returned it to the trailer hire place, which was very exciting because I've never actually driven a car with a trailer before. Do you before. have to drive differently? Well, you do because as I got very strict instructions from the builder last night who talked me through the entire process, I didn't have to reverse it. I think I need to make that quite clear because that's a real skill. Yeah. So all I could do was just drive in a straight line and like <laughs> I couldn't even, I didn't even want to turn right. So I sort of went around the block instead of turning right because it's pretty like you forget it's there and then you sort of got this extra bit behind you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you do have to, you have to take your corners wider because otherwise you end up with that jackknifey vibe going on oh. if you try to yeah i was i was given very strict instructions about making sure i took my corners a bit wider yes and um i found myself and i had i was like i was quite the i was quite the parade really because i had uh, procrasty pup in the back and oh. then i had the trailer and so he's in the back of the car and he was freaked out by the trailer oh <laughs> he didn't <laughs> He couldn't work out why it was following us. Oh, that's so cute. So he started barking at the trailer. I was just sitting there going, oh, this is so funny. Oh, my goodness. So, the, so I did all this before 8.30 this morning and then dropped the car wow. in for service and walked him home the oh 5K. I know. It's you been a big case. Yes. This morning before the podcast. Oh, yeah. Before, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. Wow. Drop the kids at school, drop the trailer off, drop the car off, walk the dog. Here I am. Wow. I, I know. Eggs. I'm on fire today. I know. And now I'm ready for bed. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, this actually, listeners, this isn't necessarily a morning in the life of Alison Tate. Oh, no. But that, sorry. It was just a little bit. I was just so randomly surprised to find myself with a trailer that I thought I'd better share that with everyone. Yeah, anyway, well, no, that's different. You. I have never driven a trailer before. I can, I can say that. So yeah, that you're you're one up on me on that front. Well, you know, it's good to have a sort of additional skill in my life, I suppose. So you did about ten thousand things this morning, and I ate some eggs. Oh, see, I wish I was you. <laughs> Again, we have this whole thing of where my life is so so ridiculous, and yours is so calm. So so calm. Not but always. I, but I have been doing writing things as well, just in case you were interested in that. Um, yes. yes, I yes. have been doing. What that. have so, you been doing? Go on. Well, I've been um. So I'm back on Write a Book with Al and I yes. have been working on my uh, new manuscript again. And, you know, I've got some very exciting announcements and things to come. So um, in the are next you going to announce them? No, I'm going to just vague podcast there for a oh, moment. okay. <laughs> but what I would like to say is I think that if you're not subscribed to my newsletter, uh -huh. uh, then you might want to subscribe because I'm going to be doing a very big announcement and a giveaway um, oh in my, my next newsletter, which comes out on the 15th 
of August. So, and where do we subscribe to your newsletter, Al? Oh, you subscribe to me at alisontate.com. Yes. And the newsletter link is quite obviously there, right there. And that's so, two L's in Alison. And, and a T-A-I-T. Yeah. yeah, that's okay. right. <laughs> so there you go. So, so, you know, beyond the trailer, I've got things going on. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm. Well, I have um, been a bit distracted from writing because I have been doing a lot to get organized with our, with the other podcast, that's our pop-up podcast for this month, because yeah. of course, August is crime and thriller month at the okay. Australian Writers' Centre. And what we decided to do was create a pop-up podcast called Murder and Mayhem, which curates 31 of the best, of the world's best crime and thriller authors all in one spot. So, you know, there are some listeners who've only just joined us and some listeners who are working through the back catalogue. But if you're a crime and thriller fan, as a crime and thriller writer or reader, then check out the Murder and Mayhem podcast. It's shooting up the charts in iTunes. So very excited about that. Hmm. So I've been a little bit um, immersed in the world of podcasts. (laughs) You have been because you don't have enough to do. You thought I'll just put together 31 new podcasts. Yes. Hmm. But speaking of podcasts, we want to give a big shout out to George Ploy. who has left us a rating, a review on iTunes, and he's called it Love Them. And he says, I have to thank Valerie and Alison for giving me the courage to start writing fiction in earnest. I have always loved language and words, and writing is often a part of what I do, but never the focus. I held the assumption it was a craft meant for others, far more naturally inclined and talented than myself. But after listening to their happy banter and deep insight into the world of writing and publication, for the past few months, I have come to realise that self-doubt and bad writing are simply a part of the process. Yes, and, George, that yes, is exactly right. Absolutely, even for the most experienced authors. Um, George continues, and that most writers find their voice through hard work. If you're looking for me, I'll be in the corner, jumping, yelling, and pointing enthusiastically in this podcast's direction. <laughs> oh, I think I see you over there, yes. George. <laughs> <laughs> for a motivation bump, some learning, a reality check, or just some cheering up, and the world of writing is a point of interest for you, look no further. Well, well that's you. it. After my morning, that is an excellent, excellent bump to my day, George. Yes. So thank you very much for that. Thank you, George. And a fist bump to you. Is it a mm. bump or a pump? Fist no, it's bump. A bump. It's a bump, but, yeah. But, but, <laughs> not a pump. Fist pump is something quite different. Yes, I think. quite Let's different. There. So yeah. fist bump to you, George. Thank you so much. You've made my day. Oh, yes, definitely. And mine. Yeah, wonderful. All right. Well, let's plunge straight into the world of writing and blogging and publishing, shall we? Let's. I think it's probably time we did that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I found a link uh, on The Guardian and it's called The Subtle Art of Translating Foreign Fiction. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes, of course, there are books that are huge successes but they're written in another language. And, you know, we recently spoke about Jhumpa Lahiri and she, even though being Bengali, wrote her novel in Italian and it has since been translated into English and is available for sale in English in Australia, for example, and no doubt in other English-speaking countries. Uh, But often we don't necessarily think of the person who translates such works. Uh, because someone needs to do it, right? It's not the original author who's doing it. You know, Murakami is translated. A whole heap of people are translated. But there are some people who 
really are good translators mm. and some people who are not as good translators or who have that turn of phrase or really understand the author or know how to express it in a beautiful way in that particular language as opposed to being you know, just a straight translation. Because sometimes I wonder, you know, when you see people like at the UN or you're just hearing a translation and somebody in another language goes and goes on for five minutes and the translator goes, I am angry. And you think, I think we missed something. What are you actually not saying? Yes. Yes. Well, I have had a very funny experience with translation just recently um, because uh, so the Mapmaker Chronicles came out in Lithuania ah. a little while ago. Um, I don't know if we discussed that. Did we discuss it? I think I can't remember. I think we did. Um, I'm sure we did. How could we not? I was yeah. so excited. Yeah. Um, anyway, so it came out and then I I, um, I don't know if, if everybody knows about this, but you can actually set up an alert on your Google um, mm. that would let you know if your name comes up anywhere on any sites, you know, or whatever. You can set certain words in and you end up with this alert that comes up. So Friday afternoon, my, my phone went mental. I got, oh. I got all these emails through that I got this, you know, alert. And suddenly my name was on five websites. Oh. Um, and I thought, gosh, what's all this about? Mm. And I had a very careful look at them before I clicked them because they were uh, not, you know, English uh, sites. Mm. And, of course, it, it's the promotional work that my – publisher in Lithuania has done ah. and what they've done is there's a Q&A that obviously I've done somewhere along the line for my Australian publisher and this Q&A has appeared on five different websites all at once in Lithuania wow. um, in Lithuanian oh. so I had to then use I, and this is the other joy so Google has the translate function so I got to <laughs> I have to say Google's translate function is not brilliant I did, but you know you get the gist but yeah. it's not brilliant but it's really funny it was really really funny so I got to actually have a look at myself speaking Lithuanian I was very good I was very fluent in Lithuanian I'd just like you to know um, but the English translation was quite hilarious so I think that that's possibly uh, if you are planning a translation of your self-published book don't rely on Google was no. would be my first <laughs> the first thing I would say. Yeah, right. Wow. Or you can do the silly thing that I did, and oh. uh, my book was translated into Spanish. Mm. Uh, so that's Power Stories that that was translated into Spanish. But one of the things that I embedded within the book, kind of forgetting that it was going to get translated, was I said, you know, to access additional resources you can go to, um, you know, my website and you just need to input, it's password protected. You can go mm. to a password protected section that is only for uh, readers of this book and you just need to put in the third word in the <gasps> second chapter, which of course wasn't, <laughs> the, oh no, was in English. So I have all these Spanish people emailing me on a regular basis saying, uh, I can't get in. <laughs> so I have to say, oh yes, sorry, the English word is, uh, maybe I should actually just find out the Spanish word and use it as one of the things. It was just crazy. You could do that. You could actually like, couldn't yeah, you? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, just add that to your to-do list. Right? Yeah. <laughs> 
much so. Have a think about that if you're going to embed some, you know, little Easter eggs or, or passwords or whether, whatever in your book, which, of course, I thought was very clever. Mm. Um, but then I kind Not of forgot so that the book yeah. was going to be translated. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on to um, a uh, really interesting thing if you've got kids. Now, this is from Wombat Books, and it's the Wombat Books Illustration Challenge 2017. Oh. And we will put the link in the show notes, which of course you can find at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. Now this is, uh, this is great. It's, you've got plenty of time to enter, you know, it's not going, it, it, it's, it's open now, but entries don't close till the 28th of February, 2017. And it says, we're seeking original illustrations from Australian school age students to publish in a unique picture book by well-known children's author, Elisa Darlison. And so, yes, students can basically enter this competition and and it's free to enter and entrants need to be between 8 and 17. And, uh, yeah, you can can enter your illustration and potentially it might be in the book. What a fun idea. Yeah, you can download the full story from the web from the website we'll put the link in the show notes and then there's very clear instructions on you know how to enter what you need to draw and so on so for any budding picassos out there yeah (laughs) what a great what a great little idea and then you get your stuff published in a book yeah i think that's brilliant it'd be great for um even for school you know groups to school classes or something to have a go at as well i think it'd be a great um a great idea because the interesting thing with um with the picture book challenge, of course, is that you've got to relate it to, it's not just about making a, a pretty picture, mm. but you have to actually make it relate to the flow of text. And they make that um, quite clear. You know, it should demonstrate the entrance ability to not only create quality illustrations, but also be relevant to the flow of the story. So yes. um, I would would suggest a, a very thorough reading of the story before you even start thinking about your about your um, illustrations. Yeah, and I love the theme of the book because uh, it's called, the book is called Yay, It's Library Day. <laughs> yay, which is, is a yay thing for yes. us in this household, definitely. Oh, I, I loved Library Day when I was at school. Did you have, yeah. did your kids have a library bag? Did you have a library bag? Yeah, yeah, you have to have a library bag. Oh, I don't know oh, these things. You essentially have to have a library bag. But I think it's another another thing. It just opens up a little bit for me a conversation that I've been having online recently because, and, and this is a slight segue, Val, so go with me for a minute. I'm going. Um, so recently the NAPLAN results were released and they were saying that, you know, we're down on literacy um, across several states. Like mm-hmm. it's, you know, the reading and, and writing aspect of things. And um, Megan Daly, who is a fantastic teacher librarian who runs a terrific website called Children's Books Daily, wrote a blog post about the fact that um, as far as she's concerned, she sees a correlation between this and the uh, sort of, um, what's the word, reduction of teacher librarians in schools. Mm. So not every school has a teacher librarian anymore. Mm. It's a, it's not the same, you know, like when we used to go to the library, there was a librarian and they would talk mm. you through it. And if you were a mad reader like I was, I would go in and my librarian would be like, right, you've read all of those, now it's time for you to go on to this or I think you might be ready for this. and 
yes. always had suggestions and things like that. That's it, that's not the case for lots and lots of kids now. Mm. And in the UK in particular, um, very rare. It's a very rare thing to have a teacher librarian in a school. Really? Yeah, and I think it's a real shame. And I think that um, it's a if, if they're an important part of the reading experience and getting kids involved in reading is people who love it like that and yes. can guide a child. Even a kid, you know, a kid who doesn't like reading, try this book. A kid who loves reading, they will guide them through that journey. And I, I think it's something that... Um, she she suggests that you know parents have a think about and discuss with their schools etc cetera, etc cetera, and i think that she's absolutely right about that so yeah. i will put the link in the show notes to that particular article if anyone's interested in having a read but um I, I think it's definitely worth thinking about and i think if your school doesn't have a teacher librarian it might be worth having the conversation about why and if there's yes. a way of getting it even one day a week is better than nothing you know yes even one day a week and you can mm. yeah that's such a good idea because that way you end up with the you know yeah it's library day and that's what yes. you want wow I mean I remember every single one of the librarians I had at school yeah. they played such an important role I mean they were a bit I thought they were a bit daggy but um they they played such an important role in all of the stuff that I learned it's yeah. interesting that you talk about the NAPLAN results because I remember many moons ago I actually worked with the communications department at I mean the communications section at the department of education in New South Wales and I remember this media you get around. Yeah, get around. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember this media release going out and I had to read it four times before it could actually register in my brain. Mm. Because it said I said, Are they really sending this out? Because it said um, it was it was announcing very excitedly New South Wales schools students <laughs> third highest estate. Um, that no, so New South students in New South Wales um, are ranked third highest in Australia for literacy. Mm. Now remember, we only have seven states. Yeah, really, you're halfway. So, <laughs> it's only a pass mark. Exactly. <laughs> it was insane. I was like, yeah. really? You're sending mm-hmm. this out? Are you serious? But anyway. I digress. Uh, let's move on to something else. Sorry, let's. didn't mean to slam either the Department of Education. No, or of course not, students. Mallory. But we just went randomly segueing there, didn't yes, we? Anyway, yes, yes. Let's come back to books. Books, come back to books. Well, we're not coming back to books. We're coming back to magazines, actually, because we okay. spend a lot of time on books and I thought we'd do something a little bit different okay. today. All right. And we'll put the link in the show notes. It's it's an article called, um, from The Right Life called Want to Write for Magazines, Do This First. Mm-hmm. And it essentially covers some good points that you and I just, you know, believe in our core and our DNA. But oh. so instead of actually going through this, uh, this article, again, I'll put the link in the show notes if you are interested. I wanted to ask you, what do you think is one of the key things? Because we teach this in the course that we both teach called Magazine and Newspaper Writing, Stage 1. And, mm. of course, that's not only writing for you know, print magazines and newspapers, but of course, online magazines and newspapers. And increasingly, it's also writing, you know, content for publishers, as in, sorry, for for brands who are publishers. So that whether that is Procter & Gamble or ANZ or whoever, they're actually creating their own sites and you need to write things in a magazine style format. Now, my question to you is Mm -hmm. what do you think is one of the key things people need to do, which they don't, uh, when people think, oh, I'd like to write for that magazine? 
uh, they need to read it, Valerie. Yes. <laughs> and not only do they need to read the current issue, but they need to read uh, at least three back issues of that magazine, yes. if not six, um, to get an idea of – because I think people – the problem with uh, with pitching to magazines is that people think that they know what a magazine is because they read it two years ago mm. um, or they read it as a – you know, they read it when they were younger or they read it, you know, once or something. Yes. Um, so they have an idea of, of what they think it is, but the, the reality of what is actually going on in that magazine at the moment may be quite different. Yes. Um, so they need to read several back issues to see what where the sort of, you know, to get an idea of the direction that the magazine is in at the moment. And the other thing is that magazines change, you know, because mm. you can read a magazine last year and they might have had a massive redesign in January this year yes. um, or a new editor or, you know, some other change of direction. Um, and you'll you'll find that the magazine actually, what you find between the covers is, is not the same as what yeah. they were doing in November last year. So you have to read it. And so many people don't. You're absolutely right. People have the wrong assumptions about ma- magazines just because mm. of, you know, they're exposed to maybe only the advertising or they're, I'm not sure why, but they, they don't bother actually analysing what's between the pages to to see whether that correlates with their assumption. Mm. And I remember doing some consulting to uh, a major bank in Australia, I won't say which one, and mm. they were wanting to get articles on some on something relevant to them in the Women's Weekly. And um and I was saying and he he was trying to convince me that the Women's Weekly was for women aged 20 to 70. And I'm like, no, it's not. No, no. <laughs> are you insane? I didn't say, are you insane? No, of course you didn't. Um, <laughs> you never be so blunt. <laughs> and I said, no, it's unashamedly a boomer, baby boomer magazine. And he could, he just refused to believe me. And it's like, well, honey, you're paying me. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want. Yeah, okay. Whatever works for you. <laughs> no, I'm not that uh, um, flippant with you know, course, my consultations. Of course not. Uh, but it is surprising what people's assumptions are. So I do mm. agree. I think reading it is a major thing. And part of reading it, um, you know, just following on from the Women's Weekly example, is really determining often what age range yeah. is uh, the target market, is the target reader, because sometimes we can make completely the wrong assumptions on the age range and start pitching ideas that are really for a completely different life stage. Yeah. So very important to do a couple of And lessons. read, like, I think let's also make the point that you need to read analytically. This is not just yes. you having a good time. <laughs> this is you. This is you having a look at what subjects are they covering? How are they covering them? Are they using a lot of real people kind of stories, case studies? Is that what they're looking for? Or are they happy with a sort of write through, which is a general, um, you know, third person and talk to a couple of experts and and, um, and put your story in. Is there a lot of first person in the magazine? Like lots of magazines will run a lot of first person as told to kinds of stories. You need to try and get a hold of the tone of the magazine, the voice of it. Mm. And I have a tip for that. Um, my tip is always to read the headlines, intros and captions because mm. those things are written by staff members always. Yes. Um, and that is where you'll really find the voice, you know, of the, the, the voice of the magazine because they're always written in-house. Even if every other ma- every article in the uh, magazine is written by a freelancer, it's staff members that write those. So you will get a sense of where they're trying to pitch their um, pitch their story that way too. 
that's a really great idea. And mm. what I encourage people to do is get a red, like a Sharpie or some kind of red pen. And because when you're thinking, reading it analytically, sometimes it's hard to arrange those thoughts. Mm. So actually write your notes on the magazine. Mm. Write down um, why you think the, this is for women aged 30 to 45 or whatever or mm. in a particular life stage and just mm. red pen throughout the magazine, not as, as not as if you're editing it, but where you're actually writing your analytical notes because mm. then they'll stay in your brain much more. Mm. Yes, I think it's just the sort of thing that you and I do naturally just – we do it like breathing when we read a magazine. We can't not read an, a magazine analytically these days. I know. It sort of takes all the fun out of it really. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> and same with websites also. It's exactly the same process with websites. Yes, it's a bit harder to do back issues clearly. Mm. But, you know, if there's a particular – a section of a website that you're targeting, go through, oh, you know, yeah. and have a look at what they've been doing. Like everything they've ever done on that website is there, still there somewhere. So find it, you know, and have a look at the kinds of stories that they've been covering. The last thing you want to do is pitch a story that a publication ran, you know, oh. three, three weeks ago yeah. or ran four issues ago or yeah. something like that. You, you know, they it just makes an editor roll their eyes and, you know, whatever, delete you. Mm. That's not what you want. And I remember one of our students, she did an analysis of the last six months of mm. a particular magazine and she discovered that for a specific kind of article, for, for the feature, the majority of the feature articles, every single one of those feature articles for the last six months, and by feature articles I mean the longer articles as opposed to this, the little snippety stock pages, mm. um, every single article for the last, almost every single article for the last six months contained three case studies and two experts. So she knew immediately because she mm. really wanted to write for that magazine. She had to provide at least three case studies and two experts or else what was the point? Because she could yeah. see that the publication needed that. Mm -hmm. But yes, those sorts of tips and much and a step-by-step -step framework are in uh, our course that both of us teach called Magazine and Newspaper Writing Stage 1. And so many students uh, have... Um, have found success getting published and paid uh, as a result of that course. And also just on the weekend, I noticed that one of our students, Oliver, he um, he said that he followed exactly the AWC framework on how to get published in magazines and he got a huge, and I mean huge, as in double pages of the Sunday, the, the, the Herald Sun newspaper on a, on a, you know, in article, on a, in an article published in the Herald Sun. Mm. So very, very exciting. So good on you, Oliver. For that. Yes. Um, uh, so yes, that's. I will put that link in the show notes. We haven't really referred to the article, but if you want to read the original article that spurred this uh, conversation. And it's got some good basic tips in it, so it's worth reading. Sure. Mm. All right. So let's move on now to our big giveaway for this week. A big giveaway is um, in conjunction with Crime and Thriller Month because, of course, August is Crime and Thriller Month. So we've got a huge competition where there are two packs to give away and each pack has eight books each. 
So, mm. yeah, they're, and they're all crime and thriller authors, including people like Ruth Rendell, Nathan Besser, James Phelan, Jeffrey Deva, Kate Saunders, Bram Connolly, L.A. Larkin, so many more. Entries are open until 29th of August. Uh, and to enter, just go to writerscentercomau slash win. And if you're listening to this podcast in the future, don't worry because there will be another competition and another giveaway that you can enter. So writerscentercomau slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, Inside Publishing, gives you a peek inside the complex world of publishing. Created by author of more than 30 books, Pamela Freeman, who also writes as Pamela Hart, the course gives you a step-by-step guide on everything you need to know about the publishing process and how this should affect your writing, pitching and submissions. It's essential information if you want to navigate the publishing world and get the best chance for your book success. You'll learn about the copyright issues that will affect you, what territories you need to negotiate for, and how ebooks and audiobooks will impact your income. You'll also discover whether indie publishing or traditional publishing is better for your goals. With our on-demand courses, you can learn in your own time with 12 months access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentercomau slash publishing. All right, Al, are you ready for our word of the week? I'm very excited, Val. <laughs> I, was, I was reading a book recently and the author had a penchant. <laughs> oh, is that, is that the word or penchant? are we moving on? <laughs> no, 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 for this, for, this, uh, for this word. Right. And it's preternatural. Oh, really? They had a penchant for that? Because yeah. that would stand out like, you know, a target. <laughs> <laughs> target. Well, um, you know, I can imagine using that once in about 80,000 words. But... I know, but mm-hmm. I it was, yeah, it was uh, much more than once. Mm-hmm. And in fact, how is this? Last night I was reading this other book um, and they were using Ineluctable. Remember Ineluctable? Oh, no, they yeah. were not. Yeah, it was the Ineluctable um, Arrival of Night. Yes. Wow. Mm. Anyway, I digress. Preternatural. Mm. You want to know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> How? I mean, let's not. Don't leave me hanging. What can I say? <laughs> okay, I know it's not commonly used in everyday expression, but it means beyond what is normal or natural. Beyond mm. what is normal or natural, and it actually comes from the Latin "praeter naturam," which means beyond nature. So, if you used it in a sentence, you might say, "Some celebrities have preternatural skin." Mm, you know, because some foreheads are beyond what's normal or natural, right? Yeah. yeah. Or the southerly change arrived with preternatural speed. Because, you know, oh. it usually comes after three o'clock or whatever, the southerlies where we yeah. live in New South Wales. Um, but, you know, you could say the southerly arrived at preternatural speed if it came, say, at 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm. 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 There you go. I like this word. I preternatural? Do, I do use this word. I like it. You yeah. use it? I do. I use it. Um, not like not every day. No. Like, it's not the kind of thing that comes up every day. But I do think it's great, and I, I, I um, yeah, I like it. Okay. Well, well, I look forward to hearing it in the sentence before the uh, episode is up. <laughs> <laughs> 
gauntlet thrown. Well, All right. I'll give you one. My my son, Mr. 12, has preternatural concentration levels and focus for his age. Really? Wow. That's why he now writes a blog. <laughs> oh, my God. Fantastic. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Are you happy? I am. Well done. Excellent. Okay. Well done. I have yet to use it in a sentence. Well, except for those examples that I gave, but I mean yeah. in my own life. Okay. okay. So let's move on. Tell us, Al, for Crime and Thriller Month, who is our writer in residence this week? Well, our writer in residence this week is Alan Baxter. Now, he writes um, sort of dark urban fantasy thrillers with a sort of, there's a little bit of supernatural edge to them. Um, But he has a new series that's available at the moment, the Alex Kane trilogy, um, which is is going great guns and it's a, it's kind of like a a thriller type of situation. Um, Now, Alan was a fantastic interview. We had the great chat because Mm. he's not only an author, but he runs a martial arts academy. (laughs) Wacky. He does and has all sorts of stuff going on. Um, and we had a, yeah, it was a really, really uh, interesting conversation. I think that uh, listeners will get a lot out of it. Fantastic. Alan Baxter is the award-winning author of the dark urban fantasy Alex Kane series, Bound, Obsidian and Abduction, newly out in print through Harper Voyager and through Ragnarok in the US from December, as well as the dark urban fantasy duology Realm Shift and Mage Sign, The Balance 1 and 2 through Griffinwood Press. He co-authored with David Wood the horror novella Dark Right, as well as a new thriller, Blood Codex, out now, and the forthcoming monster thriller, Primordial. Alan also writes short fiction with around seven 70 stories published in a variety of journals and anthologies in Australia, the US, the UK and France. And, just because he doesn't have enough to do, he also writes narrative arcs and dialogue for video games. So welcome to our program, Alan. Thanks for having me. You're a very busy man. I'm just sort of looking at all the lists of things that you do and I'm um, very, very interested as to how you fit all that stuff in. Um. Not sleeping much has a lot to do with it. It's um, to, to be fair, that's, a lot of that stuff happens over long periods of time. And uh, at this stage, I'm not actually doing um, any video game work at the moment. I'm okay. always open for more when it comes up. Um, and often it's a case of sort of juggling one thing for another. For example, if I uh, if I get a commission to work on some video game narrative it tends to take precedence and you get that done because there's usually a shorter deadline for that sort of stuff and then once that's done move on to the next thing write the next novel whatever you know so it's a case of just trying to be a bit organized and fit things in rather than trying to do everything at once but uh yeah it it does mean i keep pretty busy (laughs) well and because you also have a young family who i believe we may even hear in the background during our podcast if we're very lucky um yeah there might be some screeching (laughs) So and and as well as that, you run the uh, Illawarra Kung Fu Academy. So you've got that going on as well. So you're obviously very very good at time management. Well, yeah, it's partly that. It's um, I'm I'm lucky. Well, I've worked really hard to be as lucky as I am. That old adage, but um, I'm in a position where I'm able to run 
martial arts academy so we we live in a country town so we run a small school my wife is my assistant instructor so we run that together uh-huh. um and all the times that we do classes through the week various uh, qigong and tai chi and kung fu classes that we do mornings and evenings or whatever those are all sort of fixed times because obviously people turn up for class so that's non-negotiable uh-huh. um and then all the rest of our time my wife's a painter she's an artist so she does um, amazing uh, paintings and she's got a show coming up at, towards the end of this year in Sydney. So we any time that we're not teaching is writing and painting time and we basically split that time in half. So one of us will be taking care of our son while the other one does their thing. So I look after my son while she paints and then she looks after him while I write and we just kind of slot all that together as well as we can. Wow. And when either of us are coming up against a deadline, the other one will put in extra hours with the son and the other one will put in extra hours on the weekend or whatever to, to meet deadlines and things as it goes. So it's it's the advantage to having both of us in sort of creative pursuits that we we're, we're well aware of what each other does so we can support each other like that so it's very lucky but we've worked hard to get to this place too of course so yeah it's and it sounds idyllic and yet there you are writing your dark urban <laughs> fantasy tapping into the <laughs> horrors of life so let, let's talk about that a little bit let um let's talk about dark urban fantasy how would you actually define it as a genre and how did you get started with writing in this area <laughs> it's a hell of a thing trying to describe genre especially this one mm. um well i initially i started writing the sort of things that i enjoyed reading and that i wanted to write and i didn't realize i was a horror writer or a dark fantasy writer until people started sort of telling me that if you like mm. um the stories that i wrote would always in, there would always be a lot of sort of fantastical elements and supernatural elements there would often be uh, very dark elements because I tend to I, I I like the honesty of dark fiction. So I if something is happening, I like to follow it all the way down and mm. you know don't turn back and sort of tack a happy ending on because you know often things some stories some of my work does have happy endings or at least sort of you know not horrendous resolutions. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I just think there's a certain there's a, there's a certain honesty to dark fiction and some of the stuff I write is really dark and some of it is not especially dark but it just has kind of yeah sort of a lot of shadow to it whatever but um as a genre really dark urban fantasy is basically anything that's contemporary sort of set in our world and our time or close to our time um but that has fantastical elements and so for you know like with the alex kane series there's all kinds of magic and demon and monsters but it's set here and now it starts in sydney with alex kane who's an underground cage fighter and he's living a relatively normal life and gets drawn into this dark world of magic and monsters and stuff that he didn't know existed. So that's, that's what dark urban fantasy is. It's oh. taking, you know, urban in as much as contemporary and here rather than high fantasy, which is, you know, like game of Thrones and mm. Westeros is a completely different world. You know, that's, mm. that's different. That's full fantasy, epic fantasy. So, so in some yeah. ways, your style of fantasy, your stuff, the darkness of yours is actually scarier because it's, mired in the real world so readers are reading it and there's that potential of oh, maybe this is actually true whereas westeros yeah. you know whole different thing yeah and that, that's there there is a there is dark fantasy um that is stuff like sort of game of thrones or joe abercrombie blade itself and stuff like that which is that second world fantasy that sort of Lord of the Rings style fantasy, but that is dark and gritty and mm. ugly and stuff mm. like that grim dark mm. is often what it's referred to yeah which is 
which is good and but like you say it's that one step removed whereas with urban fantasy and you know contemporary horror like i write it is sort of here and now and some of the horror stories that i do especially a lot of the short fiction that i do is really making a point of that is really sort of focusing on what is here and now and just kind of twisting it a little bit to say what if and it's you know it's a much closer what if than something that's far more fantastically based so are you ever scared of what comes out of your brain alan like you know, the <laughs> yeah. fact the, the thing is that you put this on the page but it has to come out of your mind somewhere are you ever thinking to yourself where did that come from the hell is wrong with me <laughs> um, yeah no i do a little bit there there have there are times when um i'll just have to get up from the computer and go and take the dog for a walk on the beach and stuff like that especially if i'm writing scenes with particularly dark characters doing particularly nasty things which i never i never do that stuff just gratuitously like there's always reason for it in story but with a lot of the stuff that i do the bad guys are sort of genuinely bad guys um and so you have you have to kind of get into those characters you have to get into their heads um and think to you know you have to write characters not what would i do in this situation but what would he do in this situation or what would she do and if that person is a horrible psychopathic killer you have to kind of think like a psychopathic killer and think how they would genuinely react so that's part of the joy of writing is that you sort of create these characters and you put yourself in them and you get to explore so much but I do every now and then find that I need to then go out in the sunshine and the fresh air for a little while and um, yeah exactly yeah just scrub myself with bleach but um, Karen Warren who's a fantastic horror writer she's she's Australian she's from Canberra she's the most amazing writer um and uh, she's the loveliest person you could possibly meet. She's just such a wonderful, friendly person. And she writes the weirdest, most fucked up horror you can imagine. <laughs> sometimes it's often really just dark and weird. And sometimes it's just really, really grim. Um, but she's absolutely lovely. And she has a theory. And her theory is that horror writers, butchers and plumbers are some of the nicest people you can meet. Because they spend their working life mired in blood and crap and <laughs> horror. And they get that sort of out of their system. So they've got nothing in there. They get to sort of purge all this stuff by putting it to the page or by working in the the slaughterhouse or working in people's sewers. So they're actually far better, far better adjusted people at the end of the day. So whenever anybody says to her, God, you know, they're so nice. They expect her to be terrifying because of the stuff she writes. (laughs) So everyone else is just suppressing it, really. We've all got it in us and we're just sort of putting on a nice face for the world. Yeah, that's it. And for most people, that's fine. You know, most people don't need to let that stuff out. But maybe it's best for those of us who do. Maybe it's best that we do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, let's talk about your, your journey to becoming a published author, because I know our listeners always like to hear, you know, about the, the magical moment that everything changed. So um, how did you how did you get to that first published book? Um, well, it certainly wasn't a magical moment. Um <laughs> It was it, horrible, it he was, says. Well, no, it wasn't so much that it was horrible. It's just that it was not one particular moment. It was a sort of a long and twisted process. There's there's, there's no single sort of way that this works. If, if we could, you know, if we could bottle that lightning, we'd mm. be laughing, we'd be millionaires. Mm. Uh, everybody's journey to publication is very different. And mine is long and complicated. Um, but just to, I'll try to give as a bridge diversion as I can. Mm. Um, my first novel well not the first novel that I wrote there's stuff in a drawer that will never see the light of day but the first novel that was good enough to publish that I thought was Realm Shift which was the first of the balance books uh-huh. um, 
And that book, I sent it out. I talked to people. I got an agent. An agent represented it. It went to acquisitions meetings at a couple of big publishers, but never quite tipped over that line. Um, but as a result of that, I knew that it was good enough to get that far. Um, but then it all kind of fell over. And the agent that I had at the time only represented in Australia. And she said, I think you need to get an international agent for this and try and sell it overseas. Oh. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. And I was, at the time, I was just kind of a bit exhausted by the whole process. And I, wanted, and I knew that there was a second book. I knew that with that story, there was a follow-up. It was like there was a duology to be written. And it was at the same time that there was this big um, sort of renaissance of self-publishing, print-on-demand, e-books, um, Lulu, and all that sort of stuff. So I actually decided just for the experiment of it to self-publish Realm Shift while I wrote Mage Sign, just oh. to see how it would be received. Okay. Um, and then this is where I have to cut the story short because all sorts of things happened. But then basically that came out. It did quite well. The second one came out, did quite well. Griffinwood Press in the US picked up those two books. Okay. Um, After you uh, had self-published of, both of them. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so they're now published by Griffinwood Press. So that was sort of like the first step, if you like, to actually getting books published by someone else for me. Yep. Um, the big publishing deal of my life so far which was signing for the trilogy the Alex Kane series with Harper Collins here in Australia with Voyager the imprint of Harper Collins um, that happened in on the strength of getting a new agent for those new books and partly what had come before helped push that book push those books over the line um, in terms of getting them noticed and picked up by a publisher. So it's this long sort of process. It's a, it's a bit like, you know, when a snowball rolls downhill and gets bigger and bigger, only yeah. the hill is really freaking shallow and you have to keep pushing. But <laughs> So having self-published and you now uh, traditionally publish, is, is traditional publishing the way that you would go in the future or, you know, was your self-publishing experience, um, uh, you know, would you do it again, I guess, is my question. Never say never. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do very much um, see w- one of the things that I really learned from doing that self-publishing thing back in the day, because that was 10 years ago, when mm. I think, when I first started with that. Um, it was really interesting and it was really enjoyable at the time, but it takes an awful lot of effort that I don't really want to put in, in terms of I want to concentrate on writing. Um, and as an author these days, you have to do a certain amount, a large amount of promotion um, when books come out. But when you do self-publishing, added to that is all the the formatting and the uploading and the management of the metadata Mm. and Mm. all that stuff goes along with it, Um, which I just didn't want to do. I I decided actually that takes too much of my attention. And as we said at the top of this chat, like there's uh, my time is full. (laughs) So, you know, Adding more things to it, especially since my son's been born, it's like, you know what, I'd rather just write and then let publishers do all that work. And publishers have more power and more clout as well. They have better distribution and all that sort of stuff. And then I'll do whatever promo I can. I'll go to the conventions. I'll go on the book tours that publishers book for me and I'll do that stuff. And then I can just come back to my desk and I can get on with writing, Yeah. Okay. which is how I want to do it. So I won't... I, I may well do some self-publishing. My um, my short book about writing fight scenes is self-published. Um, I've got a science fiction novella that I serialized on my website over the course of a year, um, and it's still on my website to read for free, but I put it together as an e-book and a print-on-demand mm-hmm. and made it available 
in those formats. So that's self-published as well. Okay. So I might carry on doing bits and pieces like that. But with most of my original short fiction and novels, I'm really only following traditional publishing these days. All right. So um, you mentioned your your ebook, which is um, Write the Fight Right, which I'm personally planning to download myself. So Alex Kane is a fighter. You are a martial arts champion. You run an academy. Um, let's talk about fight scenes. Where do you think most authors go wrong with their fight scenes? Most authors write movie scenes. Okay. This is see, yeah. This is the fun, this is the single biggest issue. Like when see this this all came about because after a few publications, I started getting a bit of a reputation for writing good fight scenes in my stories, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of understandable because the two things that I do are write and martial arts, and you know I had a <laughs> sort of amateur fight career and stuff. Yeah, yeah, so you know I've done a lot of fighting in in my day, and I kind of know how it works. Um, and I didn't really think about that. I just wanted to include it because martial arts is so much a part of my life. But then when people started saying, oh, you know, you write such good fight scenes and, you know, how do you do it? And a couple of people asked me to do workshops on it. And subsequently, I wrote this sort of ebook as a supplement to those workshops. Um, and the first thing that we always cover um, is the fact that, that the vast majority of people, quite, you know, hopefully for the vast majority of people, their only experience of fighting is watching fights on movies and TV shows mm. and stuff. And the thing about that medium is that it's designed as a two-dimensional visual medium. So fights are choreographed in such a way to look right on film. And I've done some choreography for some stuff as well. And it's not like fighting, really. It's kind of turn-based. It's clear so you can see who's who and what's going on mm. because that's that's what's required of the medium. Um, you're talking of fighting. You might have heard that just flare up there. That was my son. In case, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a fight in the background. Yeah, there's a fight going on. Um, yeah, and so because that's people's experience of fighting, and it looks great on film because it's designed for that medium, so it's, it looks very sort of powerful and exciting and everything. But when you translate that into the written form, it's really boring and it's oh. not very realistic. And the thing about writers and writing is that we can get inside characters' heads, we can talk about emotions and feelings, we can describe several things going on at once that are hard to convey in film. Um, and so we can make fight scenes in our writing far more realistic and visceral and exciting mm. than they can in the movies. And that makes it sharper and better and faster for us. And the other problem is that when people sort of transcribe a movie-style fight scene, if you like, it tends to be very slow, lots of detail, lots of this happens, that happened, this happened, that happened. And what should be the fastest most visceral powerful intense moment in your story because suddenly there's a fight Mm. it should feel like a fight suddenly it tends to draw out and be sort of long and slow and boring and it kills pace and so those are the two things people need to get their head around is that sort of realism as opposed to transcribing a movie scene and that pace rather than slowing things down so is is it a little bit like writing a sex scene a a really good sex scene in the sense that you've got to focus on the feeling as much as on the slot a goes into tab b sort of stuff like is it is it that sort of thing you know like rather than rather than focusing so much on the detail of where the punch is and who did what you've got to think about what this feels like to be in the middle of it is that is that the key yeah that's it that's it it's like too much technical detail is very boring to read Mm. a little bit a little bit of detail to give people the shape of what's going on it's great but you know don't spend two sentences describing a punch just say he punched and spend a sentence describing how it felt to the other guy and Mm. suddenly you're inside a fight and it feels realistic and it's 
faster and less boring. Mm. I'm really looking forward to reading your book. Um, so <laughs> let's talk about your writing routine. Now, we mentioned before you've got a thousand things going on and you've got your, your Kung Fu Academy and all those sorts of things and you work around that. But are you writing every day? Like do you try to fit in some writing every day or are mm. you um, are you sort of as the deadlines encourage you yeah. to write? No, I, I, I think that possibly one of the most damaging pieces of advice that keeps getting perpetuated is if you want to be a writer you have to write every day mm. i think that's i, I think agree. that's bollocks mm. it's really dangerous mm. because it makes people feel inadequate i i've got what am i up to now seven six published novels seventh coming out 70 something short stories um so you know i sort of i get it done and i'm doing the job but i absolutely don't write every day i mm. just can't i've mm. got a son to look after i've got a business to run and that's mm. the case for a lot of people but you do have to be a writer every day in mm. your head mm. if you if you let it drift and you just don't think about it for a couple of weeks then you kind of get out of that groove and you have to question where your passion really is for it but even though i absolutely can't write every day i'm always in the mindset of a writer you see things and you sort of observe people and you look at situations and you always take those in with that kind of writerly mind and subconsciously think about what you can use um i'll regularly be turning over ideas for story in my head like i'll be sitting there playing with my son or something and suddenly realize he's going that noise if you might have heard that It's like he because knew that that was his cue. It's like he knew I was talking about him. Yeah, it's like <laughs> that would be sudden because I'm not paying any attention. I'm staring into space because I'm suddenly thinking about, oh, now actually if that character did this, that and the other, because it's in my head, you know. Mm. So you you are a writer all the time. But if you can only write for three hours every Sunday morning when the kids go swimming or something like that, mm. then that's fine. Just mm. make sure you write for those three hours every Sunday morning. You have to make the time to write. Mm because you're not going to find it. We're all too busy. You have to make time to write. But that doesn't mean you have to make time every day because for many of us, that is genuinely impossible. That's right. All right. So let's talk about your writing process then. Like if, where, where do you start with a new idea? Like let's talk about Alex Kane as an example. Did you, was it the character that came to you first? Was it the, like the setting? Was it the plot? Where do you start when you're it, writing? It was, it was two directions actually. And this is often the case. Like with the Alex Kane things, because of the right, the the, uh, the the fighting workshops and all that sort of stuff. Um, it occurred to me that I've got all these stories with fighting in. I've got these stories with people who can fight and stuff like that. But maybe I should actually write a story where the main character is first and foremost a fighter. So like, mm. you know, just go straight into that bit that people tell me I do so well <laughs> and have a main character who is first and foremost a career martial artist. And so I had the idea for the character of Alex Kane himself, who's this kind of um, sort of, he's a, he's an underground cage fighter. He doesn't like the bright lights. He doesn't want to go to the sort of big main events and things. He likes the sort of, he's a very, he's a bit of a control freak and he likes to do what he does. And he's a very good fighter because he spent his whole life training and he has this sort of skill. He thinks it's just sort of a, you know, the result of extensive training because he has trained his ass off. Turns out it's actually a little bit, more than that that he didn't realize um so this character i thought this is a good character to kind of work with but i needed a vehicle for the character at the same time i'd been there's always a million ideas sort of bouncing around i've I always jot things down i've got notebooks and files <clears throat> you know with ideas and character outlines and stuff that you never know where they're going to come up and one of the sort of plot ideas that had been sort of bubbling away in my brain for quite a while 
was the idea of taking that classic sort of big fat fantasy quest idea mm. and compressing it down into our world like an urban fantasy but because my books tend to be sort of thriller paced you know i like mm. to like they a, a lot of the time like the publisher quite often um cites them as dark urban fantasy thrillers mm. because they're they're not 500 pages long you know they're sort of 300 page powerful fast thriller things and i wanted to take that big fat fantasy quest trope and write it as a modern urban dark thriller um and i was tossing around ideas for that and then i suddenly that's when the sort of the moment of inspiration came when it was thinking oh now hang on this alex kane character i've been thinking about would be a great protagonist for this plot idea i've been thinking about and then bang those two things kind of merged i started working out what was going on it's like okay this is the story i can write here so most things are like that there's okay. usually a couple of things that suddenly sort of crash together that make you go, ah, there's a story I can write. Do you then, what's the next step from there? Do you then plan those books out in detail? Like is, is did you always know that Alex Kane was going to be three books or did you start out writing oh. one and then think there's more There's more to this? Yeah, exactly. I the, the whole idea of being a sort of planner or a pantser or an architect or a gardener, as George Martin calls it, um, I think it's a sliding scale. Everybody to some degree plans and everybody to some degree just flies by the seat of their pants i tend to do a lot less planning and a lot more just flying free and seeing what happens Uh, but i do tend to sort of make notes and keep timelines and my notes kind of expand a bit as i'm going and the story grows and i tend to usually know more or less the main beats i'm going to hit through a novel okay um but when i started writing bound which is the first alex kane book i was writing a standalone novel because i wanted to do that big fat fantasy trope like a big fat trilogy but do it as a single thriller mm. um and surprisingly fantasy got the better of me and it turned into a trilogy <laughs> but but each one is a standalone story and each one is a thriller in its own right so right. i did kind of stick to that but yeah. the thing was when i was writing bound even though bound is a standalone novel and is sort of complete in itself while i was writing it the the things I was using and the uh, the artifacts and the MacGuffins and all that stuff, they all sort of had history and characters had history. And I realized, oh, you know what? There's more I can do. I can explore that. And then if I explore that, I have to explore that. Mm. And so by about sort of halfway, three quarters of the way through writing Bound, I realized actually this is three books because there's this story. Then I can use this to tell this story. And then there's this, which is kind of the combination. Mm. And as it turns out, even though each book is a standalone thriller. The three books together make a trilogy with an overarching story that covers all three. I've also got several threads that are left from those that I can write more Alex Kane books in the series if the demand is there to do it. So, and but each time they will be standalone books just in an ongoing sort of you know series. Right. Okay. So that's interesting. Like that because you also write a lot of short fiction. So you've got you've got this kind of. <laughs> I find it really interesting that you have this, you know, this long and, as you say, fantasy quest that's become this overarching um, narrative. And and but in in the meantime, you're also writing a lot of like these short fiction. Do you find it difficult to switch gears between the two things? Uh, not really. Uh, not, I find it difficult to work on two on the two things at the same time. Okay. Um, like if I'm working on a novel and I get commissioned for a short story, it can be a real sort of wrench to. If there's a deadline, I have to switch to. Yeah. Um, but what I will usually do is write a novel. And then when that's finished in its draft, I'll usually write a few short stories. And then I'll go back and redraft the novel. And okay. then probably write some more short stories in between. So I tend to do things in sequence like that. Um, weirdly enough, 
um, to use an example, the, um, the the collaborative novel that's just come out, Blood Codex, was because it was collaborative. I was working with David Wood, and there was a point in that where we had to stop for a while because of various commitments and some research we had to do and stuff. Um, and so I had a week, maybe two weeks, where my writing time wasn't. I couldn't spend it on Blood Codex, and I was like, oh, I, I, you know, I might as well write a short story then because I'd been forced into a gap, <laughs> well. you know. Yeah. Might as well, yeah. Might as well. And so I started on what I short, thought was a short story that turned out to be much longer and it ended up being a 40,000-word novella, so I had to put it aside and finish Blood Codex <laughs> and then come back to this thing that wasn't a short story at all. So I'm a, sometimes I can be a terrible judge of these. Usually I'm pretty good at knowing if an idea is a short story or not, but uh, that one got away from me a bit. Well, that was actually going to be my next question. How do you know something is a short story and not a novel or a novella generally when you're not? It, writing the one that you wrote. A, yeah, it's a bit of an occult skill, really, that you kind of develop with experience. The, the in in a simple in a simple premise, any short story could easily be a novel mm. because a good short story has to have a beginning and a middle and an end. It has mm. to have character development. It has to have conflict that is resolved or not resolved in certain ways. You know, all those things that apply to good story. Um. And so any short story, you could expand out, add secondary characters, add subplots and turn it into a novel. Um, but often, often I just tend to know with an idea that I'm going to explore this idea in a short story rather than explore this idea in a novel. And so I come at it that way. Um, the no- I've got a, there's a new novel that's um, hopefully, I'm, going to, I'm just going to work on one more redraft before I send it to my agent. Um, but I had a story, a short story in uh, 2014, I think it was published. I, I won the, yes, the Australian Shadows Award for it, um, for the best, best short story, <coughs> excuse me, last year. Okay. That was a story called Shadows of the Lonely Dead. And that was about a girl who works in palliative care and has this particular sort of affinity with death and dying and that sort of thing. And it was, I really enjoyed that story. And it was a very personal one for me because of my experience with family members having uh, terminal illness and stuff like that yeah um but i knew that was a short story that i was writing then and then this year well end of last year start of this year i started working on a new novel that includes her the character from that story and another character and i'm basically taking that short story and it's almost like the sequel to that short story is now a novel oh, right. because i just decided that what she does and I had another character come along with something similar but different Um, and I got to explore those things in a far bigger sort of um, in a a far bigger playing field if you like and so I've taken a short story then and expanded you know the consequences out into a novel um, because I just wanted to explore it further and go deeper and follow up these other ideas that work well with it so Yeah, it's like I say, it's a bit of cult. You can't really pin down how these things go. More often than not, I do know whether they're short or not. But mm. uh, yeah, this last one, it, I thought it was a short story. Realised, oh shit, this is going to be a novel, and actually <laughs> turned out to be like thirty-nine thousand words. So technically, it's actually a novella after all. Ah <laughs> oh, well, slight mis, you know, yeah. misconception there. But anyway, yeah. Um, all right. Now you talked just uh, before about the fact that you'd recently co-authored a novel uh, with David Wood, and uh, you have a, a new novel out at the moment. Sorry, you co-authored a novella with him. Then there's a novel called Blood Codex, and you're also working on a new monster thriller, Primordial, with him as well. Um, wh- how did the co-authoring thing come about, and what what are the biggest benefits and challenges of it? Do you think? Um, 
it's it's a weird thing. Um, David David Wood and I have known each other for a long time. He's a very successful sort of action adventure um, writer. He writes novels like uh, sort of Indiana Jones, Doc Savage kind of action adventure, and um, those sort of Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code kind of thrillers. That's that's his kind of sandbox, and he's he's very good at it. Uh, uh, and I tend to write the dark and the supernatural and the horror and stuff, even though there's a lot of crossover. Like I was saying, most of my stuff has that kind of thriller mm. uh, vibe about it and that yeah. sort of pace. And in talking to each other, we thought that we might just, in on, on one hand, from a purely commercial decision, uh-huh. in, in as much as if we collaborated, then I might pick up some of his readers and he might pick up some of mine, uh-huh. which could work for us in terms of exposure. Yep. Uh, but also, as much as anything, just to see how it would go. Mm. Um, and so we wrote, the first thing we wrote was Dark Right, which is, it's a sort of big novella, short novel. I think it's like a um, old-fashioned Hammer House of Horror sort of horror story right. um, done in a slightly more literary way. Um, and it was as much an experiment to see how well it would work as anything else. And it turned out we worked pretty well together. Um and subsequently, we decided to write novels, but to go rather to lean more towards the the thriller and the action adventure, and less towards the the horror and the dark fiction. Again, partly commercially, but partly because we figured that the way the way that we worked together, mm. we'd get the best out of both of us by doing sort of thrillers with a dark edge rather than horror and stuff like that. I'm better at horror on my own, I guess. Mm. Um, and so. The, the publication history of the novels is actually back to front because, first of all, we wrote Primordial, which is a monster oh, thriller, right. sort of big creature feature thing. Yep. Um, we sold that to Cohesion Press, and it's due for publication in um, in January, I think. Um, and then subsequently, we started a new series called The Jake Crowley Adventures. Um, the first of those was Blood Codex. All right. uh, and that's that's now just come out a few weeks ago. So even though we wrote it afterward, it came right. out first. So that happened sometimes okay. with publishing, because that's with a much smaller press, and it's an indie press directly involved with Dave himself, rather right. than Primordial, which sold to uh, Cohesion Press. Right, yes. okay. Oh, interesting. And is it difficult, like you've, you've obviously, like you're both published authors, you're both successful in your own sort of areas. Is create? Did you have to create a new author voice for this series to do, like how well do your voices, your established voices mesh together? Like how did you yeah, well, that's read cohesively? Yeah, that's one of the things that made it work because um, uh, when we had a couple of beta readers, we had a couple of people saying, I've been really trying to figure out who wrote which bit and it's really annoying because I can't figure it out. Ah, um, so that's what you want, and, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And so that's part of the reason when we realised that we could work well together is because our authorial voice is similar. And, it, and interestingly enough, we sound different in our solo work. I sound like Alan Baxter and he sounds like David Wood when we write our solo work. But when we collaborate, it is a, a bit like a combination of us both, only mm. you can't really tell. It is like a third. We don't deliberately do it that way, but it is a bit like a third voice. And in some ways it's partly because we work with lots of sort of over-editing, write something, pass it on. So he'll write something, send it to me. I'll edit what he wrote, wrote the next bit, send it back. He'll edit right. what I wrote, do yeah. the next bit, send it back. Okay. Or with the with the Jake Crowley stuff, he does really detailed outlines and I do the writing. Uh, so he'll do okay. big research and outline and then I'll write the novel. Then it will go to him and he'll go right through it and he'll edit it and add, change, 
the voice a little bit he'll send it back to me and i'll do it again so it's a little bit like stirring colored paint until it's brown you know that you, <laughs> by by working it over and over you tend to smooth out things that sound different but i think that only works because we have very compatible voice okay uh, and neither of us is too precious about it either well um, that helps to, as with, well yeah. yes exactly with my own stuff um very precious about it and obviously i'll gladly work with editors but it's very important to me to have my own voice with the collaborative stuff um i think for both of us we're a lot less precious about maintaining something that's true to us and instead maintaining something that's true to the story and that works smoothly so mm. it's, it's, it's a strange process but uh Okay, so um, just switching gears a little bit, I'm kind of fascinated by your work with narratives and dialogue for video games. I'm assuming that that sounds a lot more interesting than it may be. I'm not sure. It's the kind of thing that yeah, sounds it like is. it should and be I mean, lots of fun. Yeah, no, it's not. Okay. Uh, no, it's not that. <laughs> um, I mean, I've not done a lot of it. I've only done a little bit of it, and I'd gladly do more, yeah. um, apart from anything, because it can be well paid. Yeah. Um, but it's an entirely different skill. It's, it's, it's very good um, for improving and and working your dialogue in in because that you know that translates back into prose the the way it basically works when you're doing with video games because usually i don't know how much experience people would have with video games but you'll encounter a, a character while you're playing the game and it'll be like oh hello who are you what do you do and you know options will come up on the screen you know buy the sword steal the sword stab yeah. him with the sword yeah yeah, yeah. and then you select one and that then will lead into the next part of the conversation. Mm. And so when you're writing dialogue for games, you use what's called a dialogue tree, which is basically something that fractals out because, of course, for every option, you need a few subsequent options. Otherwise, it's just too linear and you might as well not play it. You know, you need yeah, it to be yeah. need it to change. So you build these dialogue trees. And so you start off with a single line of when you interact with that character and then you have a few options, you know, to be polite or to be rude or whatever and how these things work and it builds and it grows like that. So you end up kind of bending your brain, looking on screen with this, what looks like a big fractal tree where you're working this dialogue and it kind of has to make sense, you know. Oh. Then you get playtesters come back and go, right, this kind of died. I just said this, this and this. And then all of a sudden he was asking me the same question again and I was stuck in a loop and I couldn't get out. Um, <laughs> so those sorts of things, you know, normally you get, you, you, you iron those things out yourself before you submit it, but sometimes you get caught out. So it's an entirely different skill to writing prose, but it's, yeah. it's all dialogue. So you have to tell the story without any narrative prose. So you yeah. have to, while you've got the graphics there showing you a scene or whatever, you have to be able to explore the story and what's happening and what the player's options are purely through dialogue. So it's 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 good for developing dialogue skills, but it is... It is a sort of a laborious task because it's not one conversation. It's numerous potential conversations each time. That's just doing my head in just thinking about it. Like I'm trying to – it's like writing choose-your-own-adventure stories. I always get my head it's exactly you know, what it's like. hurt yeah. with those as well. But, um, yeah, it's the kind of thing, is, as you say, like it's very fun on the screen, but behind the scenes it's a spreadsheet basically. It, fundamentally, yeah, and that's the thing. <laughs> everything that happens, everything you read, some poor bastard had to write. Oh. So. <laughs> Yeah. I'll tell my children that next time they're playing, yeah. whatever they're playing. Yeah, I think of some they're poor author, <laughs> yeah, just like sweating over the spreadsheet. All right, yeah. so um, you've got a, uh, what I would describe as a cracking author website. Um, and, uh, you know, those who are interested in developing one should probably go and have a look at it because it's really well thought out. Um, 
I just found the navigation of it to be so good. I thought your about page and your bio and everything was terrific. Um, and I know that you're also on Instagram and, and Facebook. I've seen you particularly on Instagram. So is, is yep. the idea of the author platform something that you've embraced or is it something that you do because you have to? No, I enjoy it. Um, oh, I, I, yeah, I think you do have to do it these days. It's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, I mean, there are some people who don't and some people who are successful um, and they completely abhor it and want nothing to do with it and, you know, good on them if they can get away with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, fundamentally, you want to be a good writer and you want to hope that your writing sells your writing. But in this day and age, there is, there is definitely a um, sort of assumption that you will have some sort of online presence some sort of social media mm. um persona um and you should absolutely only do as much as you enjoy so if you hate it just don't do it because mm. you can or tell you can't just, you yes you can mm. just tell it's just it's just inauthentic mm. um and if you don't like facebook don't be on um, my main ones that i've got my website which is basically my sort of the hub of mm. my online presence because there's short stories on there that people can read for free there's all the contact stuff about me and my bio and my blog where I share news and all that sort of stuff so that's mm-hmm. like the main hub and otherwise I tend to stick these days to Twitter Facebook and Instagram because mm. those are the ones that I enjoy using the most so you haven't um, been snapchatting as yet Alan no I keep <laughs> seeing snapchat and I haven't really looked at it and it I, I do usually I try to check these things out like I I've checked out um uh god I can't even remember what it's called now the the photo one that got really popular for a while I'm having a mental blank on what it's called oh um, me too anyway there's new <laughs> yeah, that, that I've one. Looked at, yeah exactly I've looked at google plus I've looked at all these different things um and I just keep sort of coming back to these ones that work for me yeah uh and that's really enough because it means that's where people can find me. If they like Twitter, they can find me there. If most people are on Facebook, they can find my author page there. Yeah. Um, they can check my website. They can see visual stuff if they want to follow me on Instagram. And that's kind of that's kind of enough for me. Yeah. And I enjoy doing those things. And I enjoy – I've been doing Vine a bit lately, actually. I've been posting some short Vine videos because I think that's pretty good fun. Oh. So I've been doing a few Vine bits, but I'm only just really getting into that. And just Are you doing Vine tutorials? No, but um, I have done a few – I've done a few clips of some sort of martial arts stuff, mostly clips of my dog. Um, because, <laughs> You're because as bad as I am. <laughs> I know, I'm a shocker. I just said as soon as I, Yeah, I always said as soon as I started posting more photos of my son than my dog, I will have turned into one of those terrible parents <laughs> that is just only about their children. And so my dog is still by far the most popular character on my Instagram and <laughs> everything else. Um, oh, dear. But, yeah, it's... It's it's about just being engaged. And I've got a YouTube channel too that I've been, again, just sort of getting into where I've been posting a few things. And like when I had a book launch, there was a Q&A with Garth Nix when, when the um, Alex oh. Kane trilogy was just re-released in print so that all three books now are out in bookstores. And we had a launch and I had a chat with Garth Nix at Galaxy Books about that. So that video is on my YouTube channel and stuff like that. So, so it's all stuff that well I find relatively there. easy to work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And at any point where I feel like that's taking away from writing time, I back off because uh, I always want to put the writing front and center. The writing always has to come first. Absolutely. And you'll see little birth. I'm regularly on Twitter and stuff because I've always got my phone on me. I'm a bit of an iPhone addict and, you know, I can be in the park with my son or sitting at my desk or, 
having a rest between classes and stuff like that and my phone's there and I can skim Twitter and chat and talk shit on there. That's yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But otherwise, you'll see bursts of activity either on my blog or on YouTube or stuff, and that's usually when I'm between projects. Okay. All right, so let's finish up today with our um, all-important top three tips for writers question, which, of course, I forgot to tell you about, so now I'm going to just put you on the spot. But <laughs> what are your top three tips for aspiring writers, Alan? Okay. Um Read as much as you possibly can, as widely as you possibly can, across as many genres as you possibly can. That's the first and foremost requirement, I think, for all good writing. Yeah. Um, second would be to just write and keep writing. Like we mentioned earlier, you don't have to write every day, but you do have to write if you want to be a writer. And the more you do it, the better you'll get. So just write. And if you don't have ideas, just write anything. If you sit there and write about how it's hard because you can't think about anything to write, sit there and write about a character who wants to write a book and can't do it and maybe explore why suddenly you're writing just write and you get better at doing it it's like lifting weights you you know you, you're never going to lift 100 kilos if you don't lift 20 kilos a bunch of times first yeah um and third probably the most important tip for anyone who wants to end up seeing any kind of publication success is just don't give up mm. the only real difference between published writers and unpublished writers is that the published writers didn't quit yeah so true hopefully you get better the more you do it so if you just keep doing it and not giving up you'll get good enough to be published you'll get lucky enough through perseverance to be noticed and that's how it goes there's a lot of rubbish out there you know and people who get lucky on the first hit they're like lottery winners they're the outliers the vast yeah. majority of us work our asses off get better and don't give up and that's when you see some success which is all excellent advice so thank you so much for your time today alan i really appreciate it best of luck with the alex kane series i hope it goes gangbusters and for your other um upcoming publications and um yes i guess we'll see you around the traps on instagram and or your dog anyway on instagram and facebook (laughs) (laughs) you see plenty you see plenty of me on there as well because i do i do awful ridiculous selfies and stuff like that too so yeah it'll be coming around i've got a uh, short story collection coming out in uh, a couple of months and that's being launched at Conflux and I'm guest of honour at Conflux at the first weekend of October this year so if anyone's around Canberra then yeah you can come along to that and see me and my short story collections getting launched there so that's the next place to catch up so yeah if you if you want to meet in person but yeah otherwise I'm all over the web as we discussed (laughs) all right thank you very much Alan it's feeling really really pleasurable talking to you today no worries thanks very much for having me Wow, I love that. I love that he is a martial arts fighter and I love that he took the time to write that ebook about what was it called again, Anne? It's called Write the Fight Right and I've actually um I've actually downloaded it and oh. it's a yeah, oh no, it's really good. It's about fifteen thousand twelve, fifteen thousand words. Yeah. Um cost me about three dollars, you know. 12 or 17 or something ridiculous <laughs> once it was you know um but really worth it uh very very good so That's if you're fantastic. if you're writing action or thriller stuff um not only read alan's you know books but also get yourself a copy of that ebook which is available off his website which is you know alan i can't even remember but i think it's alan baxter you know dot com or something like that we'll put the um, link in the show notes. we'll put the link in the show notes yeah uh but definitely worth it uh so yeah write the fight right by alan baxter Wonderful. Okay. Uh, Now let's move on to our platform building tip this week. This is inspired by an article that was in the Huffington Post and it's written by someone called Kylie Dunn Mm -hmm. and um, it's called The Basics of Your Author Platform. 
Okay. Yeah, and I think that it, it literally is the basics. It's not everything that you need in an author platform. Uh, and, and the two key things that she has mentioned, one is pretty straightforward, your author website. And yes. we've often discussed that and the kinds of things that will need to be in your author website. And, I, you know, last week we talked about if you go and include your books, make sure you put them in reverse chronological order yes <laughs> because yes. and not the book that you published in 1987 first yes um but the other thing that this article makes a point about and i just and i think oh, so many authors do not pay attention to is a mailing list mm. so important you very, have a mailing very list. important I well have i do list. Yes. we talked about you know the fact that i'm about to do a giveaway through my newsletter yes. um and you know so everyone should sign up immediately um but yeah look it's one of those situations where people sort of go oh you know i don't know and, and I, same thing i always get it's like oh well what would i say in a newsletter and i don't know how often to send it and why people get sick of me and why would they sign up and you know we do all of that every single time um, so what you would say in your newsletter is basically a, it's a newsletter. Like mm. You're sending out a, a, an update on what you're doing. People sign up for it because they're interested in you they want and what you've got on offer. Mm. So you basically, um, like, for example, with my newsletter, I share a bit of an update on where I'm up to. I share an update. Um, the Pink Fibre Book Club is no longer mine, but now I share an update on, you know, what's going on in my Facebook group, which is called Your Kids Next Read. Mm. Um, I share links for writers. I usually share some kind of uh, writing information or something that's not anywhere else so it's not on my blog it's not you know whatever and then I usually finish with my most uh popular Instagram pic <laughs> that month which generally inevitably is of Procrastipa oh so, <laughs> so, so there's a random photo of him but you know the interesting thing is that to to find out and to kind of fine-tune that stuff I did a survey on on my of my newsletter readers oh. and of my Facebook group just to say, look, what are you more? What are you most interested in? What do you want to see more of? What are you interested in? You know, are you interested in the writing stuff? Would you rather see more procrasty pub? Um, those kinds of things. So I actually, yeah, I did a survey, and I found out what people wanted to know. And it's not hard to do that. Like surveys are really, really easy to set up these days. So um, there's that. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. So, yeah, definitely. Um, I think that uh, even if you don't want to commit or you're wondering, oh, my God, I don't have anything to say in the newsletter, <laughs> um, first of all, remember you don't have to do it every week or every two weeks or whatever. You can do it in a more ad hoc fashion if you mm. if you want, particularly in the lead up to a release of your book. However, um, you can the, the the thing is you want the choice make sure you collect the names on your mailing list anyway so that at least you have a small or large group of people who actually really want to hear from you and you have their contact information so you mm. can tell them your news or when your book is released when when it's finally released yeah, i that's just right. think it's very remiss not to not to have give people an option to be on your mailing list if they actually really they want, want to, to. And it's really easy to do. Like I do mine through MailChimp, which is a really basic um, sort of platform that allows you, I think it's free until you have 2,000 subscribers. Um, you know, so it's it's not expensive um, and it's a way to directly contact people, which is the, 
you know, you don't get that through Facebook or through a blog or anything like that. This is, mm. this is you lobbing straight into someone's inbox, which is a really big thing. Yeah, absolutely. And this, of course, and other fantastic platform building tips are in Alison's course, How yes. to Build Your Author Platform. Yes. And you can find that at uh, writerscentercomau slash platform. Uh, and thank you also, I must say, thank you also to all of the people who have emailed us, who have enrolled in the course and who are you know, finding it really, really useful and have been really proactive in putting some of the strategies in place and who are seeing results. So well done to you for being proactive about it. Well done. Yes. All right. So let's um, move on. We're almost at the end of this week's episode. What are you up to this coming week? Um, well, I mentioned last week that I'm uh, sort of working on my website at the moment, speaking of author platforms, oh, yes. um, redesigning my website, tweaking things a bit. Um, so do you know what I've been doing? And this has been an interesting exercise. I've got um, a, almost a thousand blog posts on my website now, which is wow. when you kind of mind bending when you think about it too much but what I've been doing is going through all of those blog posts in the back end of my website and tidying things up and getting rid of things that I probably don't need anymore and all of that sort of thing and that's proved to be a really interesting exercise because I have got so many posts in there that I had forgotten that I had even written so I'm dusting them off and I'm tarting them up a bit and I'm you know getting them ready to put them back out there in the world and and I think that's the thing it, it is a body of work a website and a blog like that you end up with this humongous content database that is so useful to people and so and gives you things to share and so when you're when you're writing your blog and you're thinking what am I doing this for where am I going with this how does this work think about it like that think about it as building yourself a body of work that is going to come in so you know be so useful to you and to other people down the track yeah absolutely fantastic all right so um what are you doing oh yeah what am I doing that's a very good question. I'm not having banoffee pie just yet. Ooh. Yeah, but that will come soon. Mm. Any minute now. <laughs> Any minute now. Any minute now. <laughs> it's, just, it's just one of those weeks, I think. It's, mm. um, what do you call it? Fragmented. You know how you have some weeks that you've got, you know that you've got three days and you can dedicate those three days to editing that document, that manuscript or or writing that chapter or whatever and it's mm. you know even though you got stuff different things to do each day it there it's largely uninterrupted by meetings or webinars mm. or mm. you know podcast interviews or whatever that this is not one of those weeks for me i haven't had one of those weeks for a long time <laughs> <laughs> I need I need more of those weeks that are I, uninterrupted. I don't, I, not even a week. I'd be happy for a day mm. that is like that. But mm-hmm. it's one of those very fragmented weeks for me. But you know, and I assume okay. you are working on my on getting the make time to write. Yeah, because course. that is what the Bonoffi pie oh, is the reward okay. for. I'm so excited. Yes. Yeah, so trust me, the carrot is is pretty you know awesome in my books. So we're we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, all right. Anyway, uh, where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me at alisontate.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm the Valerie Koo on Snapchat. Although, while um, 
apparently Instagram mm. is rolling out Instagram stories. It so is. Who knows? Once that actually finally gets rolled out to me, who knows whether I'll stick with Snapchat, huh? Ooh. I don't know. Ooh, anyway, the plot yes. I, I don't think I'll be taking up stories. Why not? Oh, video. I'm I'm struggling with pictures, let alone video. But crusty pup, so cute, like barking at the trailer. I mean, oh, I'm sure they'd love that. Hours <laughs> of fun. All right, hours of fun. <laughs> oh, you can find me on Facebook pretty easily. Just uh, search for Valerie Koo. Anyway, thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.